Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Are some of you picking up on the theme? Right, a little bit? Uh, We are very honored today. We have a guest speaker with us today. He's a dear brother, a covenant brother. Um, Pastor John Boulay is the pastor of Sycamore Hill, which is a church right over the road up here. Um, And I think I've known John for about three years now. Uh, We get together on a regular basis. To, to celebrate, to build each other up, to commiserate, sometimes to talk about our sheep. How many of you know every once in a while sheep bite? In every sense of the word, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, he's a good brother, and I count it uh, an honor to uh, stand with you and uh, to fight for our city side by side. I know he's got a great word for you today, so give it up for Pastor John Boulay. very grateful to be here. I would say the other church, in, one of the other churches in town greets you. Uh, and I, I want to let you know, uh, we have a campus, uh, church campus in Wilmington. And every Tuesday I drive down to uh, visit with the pastor there. And back when you were building here, I drive right down 48 on the way down into the city and there was a period of time, I have to confess to you, that I got jealous. Uh, and I saw all the earth being moved, and um, I wanted it. <laughs> and you know that feeling sometimes when you get caught. And I, f- I felt like the Lord, w- you know, he was unsettled with those feelings. And so what had happened is I started to pray every time I drove by your building. I had to like, in the prayer... At first, was like, Lord, change my heart. Who doesn't want another thriving church? I don't want to be alone in this town. All of those things. So I started praying. And as your building went up, and I know the story and where things went, and so my prayer has changed uh, over the years. But I will say, I pray for your church every week that God would bless you to make you more like him. And uh, I'll be praying for you on Tuesday as I drive down. I've been uh, invited to sort of be the leadoff hitter in a ser- uh, series this month on grace. This, uh, today we're going to talk about how we receive grace, and then we're going to discuss how we respond to the grace we've received, and then how we reveal that grace to others. That's the steps along the way. And it sounds a bit like a gradual process, like first you receive it. This is maybe how you might say it. In an elevator, first you receive it, and then you respond to the Lord in it and around it, and then you reveal it to others, kind of like first, second, third, or one, two, three, or ABC, or crawl, walk, run. It sounds, if if you're not careful, you can make it sound like a graduating process. In graduating processes, they move from basics, basic ideas, you get it kind of, you figure out the basics, and then you move on. If you're, if you're leaving high school for college, uh, or on to the next, you've learned what high school has to give you, and you're moving on. That's what a, a gradual, a graduating process sounds like. Uh, I want to share a little bit about myself. Um, so here's a graduating process kind of at work. 
So I flew in the Air Force for a long time, and this is where it all started. Started in a sailplane. Super simple. Like, you can't mess, you could crash, but you can't really mess anything else up. You don't have landing gear that you can lower. Uh, you had like one frequency on a radio. You could fly so slow that in Colorado when the winds were up, you could go backwards. <laughs> you could look down and you're going backwards. And when you had learned everything that they had to teach you here, we went to the next airplane. This is the T3 Firefly. It's uh, an advanced, simple airplane. It's a flying club airplane that can do loops, and that sort of thing. And they were kind of screening you. How are you going to do in pilot training if... Uh, let's see how you do here. And if you did okay here and you went to pilot training, you went on to the T-37, which is this one here, and you still have a pilot sitting next to you. And this is more, if the T-3 was an advanced simple airplane, this is a simple advanced airplane. So this has all the things that a, a real airplane has. It moves at real speeds, but it's kind of the simple version of it. And you always have somebody there to take care of you. Um, if you do well here, you graduate from this. And if you want to go to the fighter, they're going to make you fly this. Now, finally, at last, like, the front is pointy. <laughs> you know, when you get here, you start to develop your ego. And uh, this airplane, you really learn the same basics. You re-rehearse the same basic ideas and concepts that you had when you graduated out of the T-37, you just do it at a much faster speed. 250 and 350 are different. So you have to learn a lot of the simple things, again, at a faster speed. And when you graduate from this, just in case you wonder where your tax money goes, by the way, <laughs> when you graduate from this, you go to this, which is the same airplane with a different paint job. Mostly. Uh, this course, if you're going to go to fighters, it's the difference between learning how to fly in an airplane and learning how to strap an airplane on your back. So in this course, this is for anyone who's going to go to fighters, you, you learn to take the airplane out and do things you thought you were never allowed to do. Uh, you, you bend the airplane uh, to your will. This is a very hard course. And when you graduate from this, you get to this which is the point of life. <laughs> okay. So this is the arrival point, finally. And I want you to appreciate this graduating process. You start and you learn what they have to offer, and then you go to here and what they have to offer. But the whole point, the whole goal is to get here, where you're useful, where you can actually accomplish a mission. None of those airplanes I pointed out, none of them are going to drop bombs. None of them are going to shoot a gun. None of them are actually ever going to do anything but train. You're supposed to graduate from them to this. A graduating process suggests that the previous steps aren't really real because you're going somewhere that's going to make you useful. And when I say today we're going to talk about how grace is revealed, and then you're going to talk about how we respond. And then we're going to talk, talk about how we uh, or receive, respond, and how we reveal it. I don't want you to think it's this kind of process. Like, to, oh, first I'm going to learn how to re receive it. And then once I've mastered that, I'm going to figure out how to respond to it. I'm not sharing a graduating process with you today. I'm sharing a compounding idea, a foundational idea.
Okay, when, I, when we talk about receiving grace this morning, this receiving idea is a foundational idea, which means you never leave it. All you ever do is build on it. We're building straight up. So the things that we're going to talk about today are every bit as relevant no matter where you go in the subject of grace. It's going to bear all the weight. If you are ever going to respond to the Lord in a meaningful way, you have better have learned how to receive grace, or you can't do it. And if you ever hope to show grace to people around you, you have better figured out how to receive it, or you can't do it. We never graduate from this. It's at the very root. We don't, we don't move on after it. We build on top of it. Any builder will tell you, if the foundation is wrong, the building will not stand. And when, the found, when our foundation is incorrect, you can build the first floor, and then you can get to the second floor, but pretty soon, if you want to do anything that looks good, it gets extremely complicated because your foundation was off. This morning is about the foundation. How we receive the grace of God lays the foundation for our entire faith. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians. If you brought your Bible, we'll be in Ephesians 2. And we're going to start with a few setup verses here uh, that I want to read you from God's Word. I'm going to read the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2, and, and we'll move on. Here's what he writes. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Those are tough words. These words are being said to a church that Paul had a huge hand in planting. And he's writing to them in their first generation which is worth thinking about for a second because the church is a church of converted adults. And what I want you to think is, is everyone in the church of Ephesus likely had, I'd say the majority of the people in the church of Ephesus likely had a pretty clear memory of what their life was like before Jesus Christ. Not one person in the church of Ephesus had a grandmother praying for them from birth. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a before and after story. And I'm just saying that because now in any established church, you have this generational reality where you have sort of young people who have been marinated in sort of Christian-esque religion, and it's hard, a little hard to identify befores and afters when you've always been soaked in it. You have it, okay, and you've got to guard against. There's its own version of heresy and temptation that travels among sort of the hereditary church. But I'm saying in this church, their befores and their afters were stark and obvious. They, were, they all had an obvious before. And Paul calls them to mind here. He says, you remember it. He's not saying anything. He's not teaching them at all. 
He's reminding them. All he's saying here is just think back in your own life who you were before you met Jesus. This is the start of this whole argument. Like if you're going to break ground for the foundation of Jesus Christ, it's think back. Who were you? He says you were caught up in the spirit of the age. Caught along by the spirit of the air, this Satan, the enemy. The things the world said you did. God had no voice in your life. The things you desired were first in your life. You pursued them. Gratifying the flesh. He calls all this. He says, you were by nature an object of wrath. Meaning if the Lord looked down, you had nothing to commend yourself to him. What have you done for him lately? Your starting point, you were in opposition to the creator of the universe. That's how Paul starts here. Now, I don't know exactly the inflection here. Like, I don't know, you know, whenever you write a letter, you sort of have your, your mind talking when you write it. I don't know exactly the inflection Paul would have used for this, these sentences. But not good. Let's just say that. It's not good. And it's just the wrong time. Like, this language, verses one through three, three do not invite any sort of spiritual point grubbing. Like, if you're the... that person in class, the point grubber who, if your mother asks you to take out the trash, if you remind your mom, well, you know, I did it twice and my brother only did it once. This is the wrong place to bring that kind of thinking up before the Lord. I mean, so maybe I don't have Paul exactly right here, but there's no room for someone to sort of quibble with the Lord of, well, you know, I wasn't that bad. If that's your attitude in reading verses one through three, you've missed it. Think about yourself when it all started. Before you met the Lord. You lived like you were God and you did what you wanted to do. And in fact, you thought you were being so independent but you were really caught up in the spirit of this age. You were more of a slave than perhaps you want to admit. That's how he starts here. And I want to say it this way. At the foundation, at the very foundation of this teaching, we find this. God's kingdom is not comprised of better people. It's not. By the way, he's not not being judgmental here. He's not talking about all of those people out there. He says right here, he says all of us. Look at verse 3. All of us were like this. Every building block of this temple, this this building that God's building, every single building was, we were them. We were them. So I'm just here to say this morning, if, if you're here and you don't know like if you're really part of this tribe, I want you to know that this tribe had the exact same understands where you are because we have a common starting point. No one here entered the kingdom of God good. Nobody. That is where Paul is starting. 
I think to appreciate the foundation of grace, you have to appreciate the circumstances. There's an old hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, before you came in, you were sinking. That's where you were. Now, in today's church, it's in vogue, I think, to try to uh, play down verses 1 through 3 uh, as a necessary starting point and rather adopt an alternative of how about we simply commend the positive attributes of the kingdom. Like you get more bees with honey than vinegar, right? So what if we just commend the really good things that you get inside the house of God and among the people of God? Maybe that's an approach. And I'm just saying, well, that may be fine-sounding, my curiosity is, I wonder what kind of foundation that is. Because you got to build on it. The, a building is never bigger than its footprint. A building, the higher the building gets, it can only get high enough. It, its height is dictated by its footers. So, you know, there's this sometimes, the church is always trying to brainstorm attractive alternatives I think to the subject of remember your starting point. And I think it makes for a very shallow church. You cannot put a lot of weight on that. We'll see this as it works out a little bit. Here's where he, he goes, and, and I just want to say this. If you're here and you feel like judged by these passages, I just want you to know, like, that's me. That's TJ. That's everyone. I understand addiction. I understand sin. I've done things I'm ashamed. Like, that's us. That is all of us. Let's look at four and five. But because of this great, excuse me, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Because of his love and mercy, God has saved us through his grace. That's Paul's next idea. Because of God's love and mercy, and he says this, though you were dead, you've been made alive. Though we were dead in our transgressions, we've been made alive. There's a lot of debate sometimes in the church of, of what do we do with this idea of dead? How dead is dead? I think of uh, Princess Bride. Like, how dead am I really here? You know what I mean? Then there's debate on this. What, what, are, we, what are we here? I, I happen to think it's uh, Paul is pushing with the power of colorful language. He's trying just to push a big idea, which is you have nothing to commend yourself. You were in complete need. But I would say this. In the broad debate of how dead is, is dead, really, I'd say at least we can all agree on something like this. That it's, it, you might say, at the very least, it's something like you're under a death sentence. You're walking around uh, under the sentence of death. There's an old movie called Dead Man Walking. It was about a guy who was on death row waiting to go to the electric chair. That, right? that's, he's saying, that's you. 
your prospects without the Lord, you're living under a sentence of death. You're dead man walking. And he's freed you through his grace. And the way he did it is really hard to imagine. Like, he took your place so you could go free. Another way you can say, what does it mean to be dead? It means you're helpless. Dead men don't heal themselves. There's nothing you could do. You can't pick yourselves up by your bootstraps. You can't, you can't do any of that. You might say it this way, you're spiritually dead. I don't mean you're unspiritual. I think when we live in the spirit of this age and, and when we live for our own flesh, we're making very spiritual decisions. But I mean the pulse. If the Lord was to put his fingers on your wrist to see if the spirit had any pulse in your veins, you'd get nothing. Because you have a heart of stone. He's saying, when you had a heart of stone and no spiritual pulse, God, God in his love and mercy removed your heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh and spirit, pumped the blood of Jesus Christ through your veins, and now you're alive. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. I think it's the force of the teaching that Paul's trying to get across. Remember your starting point. It's so ironic that if the Lord is going to build a mighty fortress on you, he wants you to remember how low it all began. It's, you know how foundations, you have to break ground, and the, the big, higher you want to go, the deeper you have to dig? That's what he's doing here. You got to go down to the bedrock. Because of his love and mercy. I love how in this passage the bad is invaded. You know, if you're thinking to yourself, man, this guy can't get off the bad news. Like, get over it. First of all, I didn't write this. <laughs> Second of all, Paul invades the bad news with good news. It's not like he writes a page of bad news and then six pages later he gets to the good news. He's not like a dad who sort of shouts down his child and calls him names and then the next morning, you know, everybody goes to sleep with all of this hurt in their hearts and then the next morning over a quiet bowl of mush or oatmeal, the dad sort of says, we're good, right? Okay, I, you know, it's not like that. It's in the same sentence. It's in the, hey, you were dead in your transgressions, but because of the love and mercy of God, you who are dead are alive in Christ. And then there's this, it's almost an expletive. In some translations, it's a parenthetical. He says, by grace you've been saved. It's like when you're trying to explain something and you're excited and you're like, and so it's this and this, it's grace. You've been saved by grace. This isn't the bad news bears telling you how bad you are just to make you feel low. This is good news trying to re remind you of your starting point. Because how saved can you be if you weren't that lost? How high can your building go if you didn't have like... It is essential. And you can never leave this, by the way. You don't ever graduate from this teaching. You will stunt what God is trying to do in your life. 
if you move on and leave and graduate from the notion of, I was dead in my transgressions. I had nothing to commend the Lord. I can't point and grab or grab a single scrap of righteousness before him, but because of his love and his mercy, I've received grace. That is how the building is built. And it's not bad news. It's good news. It's in vogue to downplay the bad news. You know, if you come into the Lord, it'll make your life better. Man, can't we just kind of crop back the whole story to that? It seems more effective. And it is if you're building a shack, not if you're building a cathedral. Jesus Christ is not therapeutic. He's not coming to tweak you. He's not medicinal. I'm not prescribing Jesus Christ to you to make your life a little better. Do you need saving or don't you? He's a savior. That's who he is and that's what he came to do. He's not just your helper. He doesn't get us from a B to an A. He's not your tutor. He's a savior. That's who he is. I think about with, if you had cancer and you went to the doctor and the doctor was trying to take an approach of, my real goal is to try to, rather than telling them the bad news, really just, you know, try to give them encouragement for the life that they have remaining. So you go in with cancer and you come out with, you know, cut my toenails, take vitamins, go on walks. We'd think that would be unfortunate if the doctor did that to you and he had the cure on his shelf, we would think it in, like inhumane. This is where, you know, we are terminal and Jesus is our savior. You don't graduate from that. And I got more good news for you. It's in verses six and seven here. It says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying God didn't simply, this isn't binary. This isn't God simply saying, instead of pouring my wrath out on you, instead of you being an object of wrath, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna... You know, like when you go fishing and you go, well, I'm going to eat that when you put it in the tank. God's not simply taking you out of the tank and setting you over here. It's not what he's doing. You're not moving from object of wrath to not object of not wrath. That's verses 6 and 7 say, actually, more than that happened. The Lord, in his love and mercy, raises us up. He begins to elevate us to the place where his son currently is 
so that we can experience not just not wrath, but that we can experience the incomparable riches of the ages to come. That's not, that's not simply not being subject to wrath. That's being embraced by an eternal God. You're going from the enemy, and you're not simply like being let go. You're being going from an enslaved enemy to a son and daughter of the most high God. That's what just happened. That's what you've received. That's the foundation of everything. And we don't graduate from it. It's always, the foundation of this building is always at work. Always at work. Holding everything up. Eight and nine. Here we are. Here's the actual, like, here's the focus verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Sort of here's the the idea of receiving right up close, right? Salvation is a gift that God gives and we receive. He says, hey, you're saved by faith, right? You're saved by grace through faith, right? Grace doesn't just happen to everybody. It's a universal offering and it's received through faith. by faith. And then he sort of softens this notion because he knows we're proud people. We're always looking for something to be proud of. We're always looking for some sort of some part of us wants to, some claim. We want to put some flag down saying we did this. And so he says don't even boast about that. Don't even boast about that. You've been saved by grace. It, I think this is another one of these just forceful colorful literature of Paul to say there really is no place when you think of all that God's done there's no possible place for the Christian to be boastful about themselves if you're serious about it you get more humble and grateful gratefulness is a sign that you've received a gift if you're proud of a gift you received we call that reimbursement because you thought you had it coming to you. That's payment. Right? Gifts don't have W-2s associated with them. It's not for work you've done. It's not for good service. It's this. Gifts are given in love. If you've received it, you should be grateful. And he's saying, the way he says it here is, is just to sort of stop anybody from being proud of anything. Like, well, you know, The Lord saw my potential. Uh, After all, I've done... No. The Lord did not see your potential. All of us were chasing after our own desires. We were by nature objects of wrath. The Lord did not save you because of your potential. We're not proud to have you on the team. It's not as though you're being recruited to fill a key spot. You can boast in nothing 
but Jesus Christ. I even think in this text is something like, I, you know, and I can see this. People can even be proud of their faith. Like, hey, it's nothing I've done, but he's saying, I, I think in this is even a suggestion of don't go off telling some long yarn about your spiritual pilgrimage to find Jesus. Someone else planted, someone else sowed, someone else watered. Lots of people, the Lord's grace and mercy has come to you. He found you out. What you call a pilgrimage, he might have called a wandering. He just happened to find you out. So every single place, every single place where your spirit is tempted to start to take a little credit and put your stamp on it, right there is, he's saying, don't do it. Be proud of nothing. Be grateful of everything. Everything you have that matters has been received as a gift from the love and mercy of God. And that's the only thing he can build on. How much weight do you think you really can hold up? Our faith and appreciation of what we have received increases as a pure function of realizing like who I was, who I really was, and what I've been given. And I'll say this, and I know this is true for any person who's been in the Lord for a long time, the longer you're in the Lord and growing, the worse of a person you realize you once were. You don't go, oh, actually, I was, I was off. I was way better than I thought I was. It ne that never happens to a growing Christian. To a growing Christian, you end up frustrated with, ah, I thought I could conquer that hill, and I thought I could conquer, why, Lord, why? You end up, you end up walking lower and lower and lower. It's, you know, old people in the faith, they walk low because they've been in it for a while. It's increasing humility. How is it possible that I was, I was born in the church, I was raised, I have wonderful godly parents, and I have a life full of things that I don't like to talk about. I will for the sake of his name, but I don't like to talk about. And the more I'm in, the things I was proud of, I'm now ashamed of. He gets bigger the more he does. And he wants to be big in your life. And the bigger he is, the more weight you can bear. And you're part of this building. Paul's severity in this teaching demonstrates like two things. First of all, there's no one in this room who's too bad for God. That's the first thing, right? Right at the foundation. There are no good stones in the foundation. He's, he found old stones and he, he did something to them. We were dead. So there's no one here, there's no one here who's too bad for God. That's one of the, the severe mercy of this text. Demands we proclaim the gospel to everyone. There is no one who's too bad for it. It demands I must love even my enemy. You see the implications here? In addition, there is no one here who is good enough for God. There's no one who's too bad and there's no one who's too good. Moralism, Christian moralism, is the bane of the Christian community. Of people who have forgotten their foundation and focus on all the other things of God. 
God is not trying to make you good. He's trying to make you holy. And holiness comes through gratefulness. And gracefulness comes through grace. That's how it works. And you never graduate from it. Here's a practical thought as we close. Just this is right at the foundation. Responding, and we'll have subsequent Sundays for this, responding to the grace and revealing the grace. Uh, those are built on receiving. If you have not really received the grace, you will never be consistently kind. You'll be occasionally nice in the difference. We all know it. Kindness, love, joy, peace, and the like, these things come from a firm foundation of eternal gratefulness. Eternal gratefulness. Lord, I need more help. It's almost as though good Christians are constantly going back into the basement to the foundation of the church. <laughs> Lord, I need more help. This is the miracle of receiving the grace of the Lord well. It's a, I, I think of this as a miracle. I don't see it anywhere else, anywhere else in creation. The proper reception of God's grace has the simultaneous ability to make a person very humble and very aware of their deep value at the same time. To be humble and priceless in the same breath. Only the grace, only the true reception of grace can do that. The world can't do that. The world can do either or. The world has the ability to say, I'm, you be humble or be valuable. You can't do both very well. Often it's neither. Usually it's insecurity and vanity that we're balancing. But in the kingdom of God, we can be both humble, like I have no proper claim. I have no right to the things I've received. It's through the love and mercy of God. It makes us humble. I remember who I was and I remember where he brought me and he did it, right? There's this humility and there's this deep value. And he didn't simply pull me out and set me aside. He pulled me out and raised me up and elevated me. I'm a son of God. I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I am an inheritor of the riches of the kingdom of God for the ages to come. And I did nothing to get it. Nothing. And you are too if you're in Christ. That simultaneous humility and value is what enables you to love when someone's not loving to you. It's you're always able, and if you hold those two together, you can always give, you can keep giving and keep reflecting because your identity is firm in Christ and you weren't any better to start with in the first place. Nowhere else have I seen that in this world. Okay. I'll close with this thought. Buildings have a way of making us look up. Buildings are proud. They make you, they make them, they're proud of themselves by the way they make you look up. Height, size, grandeur, steeples, stained glass, spires, many floors, vaulted ceilings, 
great buildings make you look up. But if the kingdom of God were a building, you know where you would find Jesus? You wouldn't find him in the C-suite on the top floor. You wouldn't find him painted on some grand ceiling. He's not at the top. He's in the foundation. He's the cornerstone that strikes the measurement of the whole building. Everything is built on him. Everything. He lifts the building up on his shoulders. And as we close and as the prayer team comes forward, I'm going I'm to read the end of Ephesians 2 over us just so you, you can hear it. Maybe you want to just even close your eyes and receive it. Receive it as is true for you. If you're in Jesus Christ, you are part of this royal priesthood, this holy nation. You're, uh, you hold this treasure in a jar of clay. And I want you just to hear as we go into prayer what, the Lord's, what Paul says here about the Lord. He says, consequently, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God. People and member, members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Listen, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Lord, we remind ourselves of our starting point this morning. Lord, for how can we be saved unless we are in trouble, unless we see it? I pray, Lord, this morning that you'd give people a recollection of who they once were. I pray this particularly for people who've grown up in the church. I pray you, you, you pull the weeds and vines back so they can see they were not born Christian. Lord, we are not afraid to look at the mess we've made because of the grace of God, because we've been saved by grace. And so, Lord, I pray in this room that there'd be no one here, that the greatest lie that could leave this morning is someone thinking they're not good enough for God's kingdom. I pray, Lord, they would walk out knowing that the expanse of the mercy of God is vast. And, it, and it, God is looking for them. Lord, give us a humility, a daily humility to remember the rock on which we stand, the reason that we're citizens, so that you can do real work in us, Lord. Just, we pray you, you burn away the pride so that we could be useful because we're your workmanship and your handiwork. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.